Hi, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. This is a reminder that we're going on tour next summer. Yes, that's right. We're going on tour. The Living Undeterred U.S. Tour 2022. We're leaving on May 9th next summer. We're going to every state and we're raising a million dollars. That's the plan to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. We need your help though. I cannot do this alone. I know there's a lot of people out there interested in this uh, project of ours. You can go to our website, www.livingundeterred.com. We need volunteers. We need state partnerships. We need sponsors. We need as many people as we can to get out there and help those people that need help to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. Again, go to livingundeterred.com and click on the Living Undetoured icon, and all the information is there. Again, thank you very much for the support, and as always, keep living undeterred. Hello, this is Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast, and uh, wow, are we in for a, a great treat today. Um, honored to have, I would say a good friend because I feel like I've known her for a long time, but that's what happens when you're on social media a lot. You meet people, you feel like you're close to them, but you've actually never met them face to face. Um, and maybe next year or next summer, I say next year, but this is 2022 now. Um, but maybe uh, this summer I'll have a chance to meet you, Julie. Uh, I'll be out on the tour. Uh, we are going to be in North Carolina. I already have some stops already scheduled in South Carolina. So. Um, I'm going to introduce our guest today, Julie Ruska, and I did get that right. There's a silent H there for those of you reading this. Uh, I'm super excited because I have been a fan of hers. I've been following her. She has a, a cult-like, and I say that in a good way, following uh, that I just see her numbers increasing. She's winning awards, and I'm a newbie on this, uh, on this social media journey. My podcast has only been out a year. Uh, my book has only been out a year and a half, and so a lot of what I'm I'm working on, I'm trying to emulate what the what the superstars are doing. And today we do, I'm honored to have a superstar in our presence. So Julie, uh, you are a certified high performance coach. I guess, first of all, what does that mean in English? <laughs> That's a really great question. You know, certified high performance coaching is all about becoming your best self. And so the training that I went through focused on career relationships, emotions, and health. But what I found as I got into coaching people is that that's all really good and beautiful and amazing. But if you don't add finance into it, then you're kind of a dream merchant. Because if you create this vision for the life you want, but you don't have the funding for it, then it really is just a dream. So what I do with it is I've kind of, uh, I do high certified high performance coaching, but I also have morphed it and brought it in with mindfulness, meditation to create a holistic version of coaching right. where I focus on career, relationships, health, and finances. And we really look at where people are functioning at their optimal levels and where they're not. And then I help them create a plan to get there. What's the difference between that and a life coach, let's say, because I see that term thrown out everywhere. Seems you know, like. I, I think life coaching is very general and we find a lot of people just call themselves life coaches, right. but they don't really have training for that. Right. So I have a master's degree in curriculum and instruction and how that feeds into it is I also have advanced certification in coaching and certified high performance coaching. 
And then I have over 2,500 hours of yoga, mindfulness, and meditation. Mm. So what I do is very much a combination of how to meet people at all levels of their lives. I think the term life coach is very general and right. anyone can call themselves a coach. It's right. really important to see if they are actually qualified to do what they're doing. Well, in the short amount of time that I've been on social media and, and following you, I, you probably have the most optimistic, inspiring posts on a regular basis. You're not just doing one a week or one every other week. And it's not the same theme. You know, there's a couple, I'd say there's three or four of you that I, I follow. And um, I don't always comment, but I'm very cognizant of what you are promoting, which is increasing well-being, quality of life, looking at this from a different lens. You and I talked a little bit before I recorded, and you told me a little bit about your past. Um, you didn't just wake up a high-performance coach. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how you became who you are and how you became a living undeterred advocate, even though you probably didn't know what that meant, but um, <laughs> <laughs> now you do. <laughs> no, you know, it's so interesting how our lives happen. And I find that God creates us all for a reason. And we go on this journey and we discover ourselves through it. So I was born into a very conservative Christian family in Iowa. Um, yes. Like you are. And yes, woo! Go Hawkeyes, right? Go Hawks. <laughs> My team, anyway. I went to University of Iowa. But I was born into a very conservative Christian family where it was kind of placed on me to be what I consider a 1950s type of woman. I was mm -hmm. raised to get married, have children, quit my job to raise my children. And that was pretty much it. And as so many people do, when you're indoctrinated with a religion or a way of life, you just blindly follow right. it. So right. I went to college, met a man at when I was 18 years old, got engaged at 19, mm -hmm. married at 20. Mm -hmm. I was um, working to be an elementary school teacher because it was a good mom job. Because if you had to right. work, and this is not my, these are not my words. These are the words I was raised with. If you had to work, at least you'd have the schedule of your kids. So I did sure. that for a few years. And then at 24, I had my first child. By 31, I had three. And um, I quit my job at 24 to raise my children. And that was it. I became a wife and a mom. And everything that is in me beyond that, ceased to exist. It was like I was sleepwalking hmm. through my life. And um, it was it was not a healthy relationship. It was very emotionally abusive and um, and then some. And um, hmm. yeah. when I finally got the courage to leave that situation, it was because I woke up. I my oldest yeah. son is severely dyslexic. And he needed to go to a special school that cost a lot of money. And so I thought if I worked on my master's degree, I could go back, you know, work on my master's and then work at the school because then I'd get a discount. So when I right. was doing my master's, I went out, out to Colorado Springs, Colorado for a brain-based gender differences conference, which is one of 
the things that this school that my son was going to attend really championed. And when I was out there, everyone was interested in what I had to say. And for the first time in a decade, I, I was Julie. I wasn't Ethan Sidney Aaron's mom. I wasn't my former husband's wife. I was me and people compared what I had to say. And it, it was like, like I had come out of a fog or like had been pulled off of my eyes and I realized I'm sleepwalking through my life. I have really beyond raising my children, which is an admirable, nothing more. And I really strongly felt like I'd created them. And that started the last seven and a half years where I transitioned from teaching into teaching yoga because I felt that the principles of mindfulness and meditation are things that everyone needs. And then from there, realizing that yoga, mindfulness, and meditation are simply tools, and it's really the deeper issue. And that's how I got into studying some more psychology and, and getting certified as a high-performance coach, because I really wanted to help people get at those root issues, those limiting beliefs, the things that hold people back from living unaltered. Yeah, that's well said. I, um, I'm working on the second book and I got it kind of in conjunction with the tour next summer. And one of the things I was trying to break down is kind of the foundation of the living undeterred mindset. Because I get asked this a lot. It's like, you know, you, you buried a child, you buried a child at 23, you buried your wife, you know, six months ago, you were married 21 years. How do you go through your day as, you know, you, you almost act like this stuff never happened. It's almost like, you know, you laugh, you cry, you, you talk about all these things. Why aren't you just depressed and, and dwelling on misery and, and all that? And, and so I, I thought there's really two things that come to mind, this living undeterred mindset that I'm really trying to promote to people. And the first, Julie, is expectations. And I think, I think we'll use death as an example. You know, we have this expectation that, that someone else is going to die today. It's not going to be us. It's not going to be our parents. It's not going to be our kids. Um, someone else is going to get that car accident. Someone else is going to get cancer diagnosis. You know, someone else is going to overdose on fentanyl. And then when it does happen to us, and again, death, we're all going to die. I mean, that's, that's a fact. How we die, we don't know. And I personally, I wouldn't want to know, but um, the yeah. fact is that no one's figured out a way to live forever. And, and I even joke in my workshops back in the day when I did investments that the Egyptians used to think they could take them, their goods and, you know, their gold and silver with them when they died, but people just raided their tombs later and stole it anyway. So even if you could take your money with you, someone's just going to come, come and steal it anyway. But the fact is that we have this expectation that we're not going to die. So when somebody close to us dies, we act like we're surprised. And the reality is, it's going to happen to all of us. It doesn't always go in the right order. I write in my book, you can die in the wrong order and you can love in the wrong order, you know. And it doesn't always work that way. I buried a son, a wife, and my mom in that order, you know. And at 55, I should have probably buried my mom first, my parents first, and then maybe a spouse and, God forbid, a child. But the reality is, I went backwards. And so... But yet I have three deaths in five, four and a half or five years that, that have been into my life. And so I have this set of expectations where I don't expect a fantasy life. I don't expect unrealistic things to happen. I've, actually, I'm like, 
I expect shitty things to happen to me. I really do. Um, because I don't have any special deal with, than anyone else does, you know? And I know, I know things happen in, in, in for a reason and things happen in mysterious ways, but we also, also have a lot of control on how we react to these mysterious ways and how these things that happen to us, we're not obligated to act like everybody else. And I cry every day. I mean, I've, I've cried at least four times today for both my wife and for my son. Yet, I, it's like 12.30 here and I'm having a great day. I mean, I, I'm really having a really good day. So expectations is the first thing that I realized that I could try to teach or help people is don't set yourself up with false expectations that something bad isn't going to happen today. You could get that call any minute. How are you going to react when you get that call? That's the key. The other one is preparedness, you know, you know, being prepared. And you talked about a couple of things that I, one I've never done that I really want to get into and that's yoga. Um, we can talk about that later, but the mindfulness, I am huge into that. I dedicated a whole chapter of meditation in my book. And I have to say, if there's one thing other than giving up alcohol, choosing not to drink, that's really saved my life. And that's mindfulness. That's, that's, not identifying with my thoughts and really not even taking ownership of my thoughts, almost like they're somebody else's and I'm just renting them for a few seconds as they exit my brain <laughs> and go somewhere else, you know? Um, because I think if I identify with my thoughts, I'm going to sit around and get sad all day and pictures of my wife and my son. And, and now I have this beautiful granddaughter that was born three weeks after Seth overdosed, his daughter was born wow. and I could wrap myself up in all this misery and, but I'm not going to do that. I have other people that depend on me that are needing me to step up to the plate. And so I think what I admire what you're doing is that you embody all that as well, but you have a different story, but you're doing the same thing, you know? Right. And I think that's awesome. You must, you must run into people every day that change your life. Yeah. I mean, every day that I work with clients, it's amazing and humbling the effect of these practices, these tools that I help equip them with and what they do with them. You know, when I help someone rekindle a relationship with their spouse, or when I help someone double their assets under management in a year, like those things, it's not about the money there. It's about that client creating an amazing life for his wife and his kids and himself. And and when I do that, yes, it, it impacts me in amazing ways. Just like on social media, we talked about on LinkedIn, I listen to people's stories because I can learn. We can all learn from everyone's story and from the lessons that people have. You touched on so many amazing points. And I think the key is choice. You choose your attitude regardless of circumstances. And what I like to do, and it's, it's a mindfulness practice, is accept the present moment as it is because we can't change it. That already happened, right? So this moment is what it is. What are you going to do? Right. Right. It is what it is. Now what? And that's where we have to focus on. We can control our attitude, our effort, and our actions at every single turn. And when you take take ownership of that. That's how life really changes. 
Yeah, and I, I look at, you know, COVID and all these convenient excuses that people, and they're legitimate. I mean, excuses can be legitimate. They can be, you know, they can be just that, excuses. Yeah, you know, they're legitimate. Everyone has issues, and it's right. okay to right. share that, but it's not okay to use those excuses to hold you back. Right. I, I write. Right. It would be like when you're grieving, but you continue to function. Like, obviously, we don't want to say, oh, you shouldn't grieve. Of course you should. People have valid, even valid circumstances. I even hate to label them as excuses, but valid reasons for staying in bed all day. You could, right? right? Like when, when I went through my divorce, I didn't have child support for seven and a half months Mm. and I couldn't pay all my bills. And there were times when I was like, I just want to hide. I just, I don't want to get up today. But the question I ask myself and I encourage other people to ask themselves is who needs you on your A game? Mm -hmm. Who needs you to show up today? And we don't know. I have no idea when I put something out into the world, like on LinkedIn, who that's going to touch and whose life that's going to change. We go around and we sprinkle seeds, right? It's like throwing confetti. We throw this positive energy confetti or confetti of whatever you're sharing with the world and you don't know who it's going to touch. But you do know that if you lay in bed all day, you're not going to have that opportunity. And every single person's life is about more than just themselves. I think there's a massive disconnect or illusion out there that people have. And this is one of the reasons why depression rates are high and suicide is high and you know, alcoholism, uh, overdose, all these things are, seem to be at, you know, epic proportions, but, or levels, but there's a disconnect between people finding happiness and, and being at peace. And I write about the difference frequently because I think there's this false sense of, uh, pursuit when people say, well, I want to be happy. Happy is a, happy is a quick emotion. You can buy a car and be happy. You can't buy a car and you be at peace, you know? Um, yeah. So it's like, I'm really trying to get, and I don't, I don't have followers. I don't have clients, you know, I, I have investment clients, but that's a whole different <laughs> workshop. Um, but you know, you, you actually have clients that are depending on what you tell them to do or guide them to do. I'm thinking to myself, what is it that people are lacking? I mean, we are we're the most abundant country in the history of the, of the plant of, you know, humans. Yet we seem to be the most disconnected from, uh, from our community, from ourselves. You know, the disconnect is a word I use frequently because we are just not happy, and um, whatever happiness we have is replaced by something else. It's like a higher high. It's like once you get high, you have to have another high. And but I think what people are missing, Julie, is being at peace with themselves. So how do you guide people from that bridge from happiness to peace? Because I think peace is ultimately where we want to transcend to. Yeah, you know that's a really great question, Jeff. Um, I think the world is numbed out. We have the oh, yeah. ability to check out with right. all of our social media, with 24-hour TV. You know, growing up, I had like three TV channels, and you had to go and like turn the knob, right? Yeah. And there were Me too. Yeah. On... black and white. By the way, I'll add. <laughs> <laughs> there were like a few hours of TV, and that was kind of it. And so that maybe was an hour of your day, but now people are like hamsters on wheels. They go through the motions, they wake up, 
they work, they, if they go to work now, people are just sitting in there a lot of people and they get done and they're worn out. And so TV seems like a great place to just sit and exhale and then they zone out and they just keep right. going through that cycle and they don't wake up. They don't right. realize this is it. Tomorrow might not be here. An hour from now, right. I might not be here. And when you have that right. awareness, there's a term for it. I'm not sure what it is, but it's like mortality awareness. When you live with the awareness that this present moment is all you have, it changes the game. Because every conversation you have with someone becomes more important. Because what if that's the last conversation you have? Because every time that, you a... hold a door for someone or I pick my son up yeah. at school, that could be it. And if that's the last memory he has of me, yeah. then I better be the most amazing, loving mother I could ever be. And so how do you move people from chasing happiness to peace? It starts with waking them up. You have to wake right. up and, and really take on this is it. This is it. This is all there is. And from there, what are you going to do with it? Why were you created? So it starts with the awakening and then it moves into an empowerment. What do you want to do with your life? Why were you created? Really going into that. When you live life beyond yourself, you move out of that searching for happiness because you recognize it's not all about you. And as you serve others and as you are a kinder friend, colleague, you know, coach, mother, all the titles we have, as you're a kinder, more giving person, you discover that internal joy. And when you're living life on purpose, I think that's when the peace comes in. That's so true. I mean, I, I think in the last year of my life, you know, the, the most impactful things that I have been a part of have been things that I have done for other people. Um, you know, be it whether it's with my nonprofit or getting someone on the show that wants to tell an important story. Um, I think more, I guess, I guess the, the maturation process for me is realizing that this is a, a we story that we're on, not a me story. And the more that I tell my story, I think I lose an opportunity to hear your story or hear the next guest story. Or if I'm a guest on a podcast, try not to make it all about me. I, I had a really interesting conversation right before you, you and I were on, on the show here that I actually had my assistant Molly send you a note that I was running late. And I was running late from an interview, a pre-interview for our tour next year. I'm trying to get this facility to allow us to be a to allow them to be a state partner. So later on in the show, I'll talk about the tour. And, and, and obviously, I'd love to have you participate if you can at some capacity because um, it's more of a well, well-being or a mental health initiative tour. But anyway, I was talking to this guy and I never met him before. And he's a manager of a fairly large um, uh, celebrity rock musician gentleman that I happened to meet in Las Vegas a couple a week ago or a month ago. Amazing coincidence how I bumped into this gentleman. And now their facility may be a, a, a partner on our, our stop. In, in 10 minutes of talking to this guy, he started talking about a personal issue in his life about a family member and drugs and all this stuff. I didn't know this guy at all. And the fact that I opened up the door, I cracked open the door of vulnerability 
now him and I, we were on the phone for over an hour. I was expecting a 15 minute like interview to be, to have him part of our tour. I was on the phone for an hour on a zoom meeting for an hour, Julie. And it just keeps validating to me that if I'm willing to cry in front of people, open that door, tell my story. I don't like talking about, you know, what happened to my marriage at the end. I don't like talking about the last words I told my son, ever told my son in my garage was, you need to quit drinking, Seth. It's the last thing I said to my son, like you said, there's a last time for everything. I never even hugged him. You know, and it's just, it, I can either carry that to my grave in anger or I can carry it as a, a burden of responsibility that I'll never do that again. I'll never make that mistake again. I tell my boys I love them every freaking day, every day. You know, and I will. My my son's six six, and I reach up to kiss him every day. You know, and and that's you know, it takes death to open your eyes like that. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of rambling, but um, but the point is, is that you said some things that were so eloquent and so accurate. And that last moment is a way that I think when you have adversity or trauma, you tend to change your lens that you view life from. And so I really look at, I really look at today could be the last day for Jeff Johnston. I mean. It and, could. And, and one day, one day it will be. Right. And we don't know that. That's the beauty and the, the tragedy of life, really. Um, yeah. But because right. of that, it brought up what I was thinking is when you judge people, you have no time to love them. And I think right. that we go through life sometimes. A lot of times it's well-meaning, right? We, we mean well. You meant well when you said you need to stop drinking. Right? right, but how was that received? And so, when we are talking, when we're using our words, having that awareness, that mindfulness of what I call again mortality awareness, this is it. So, if this is the last time this person sees you, whether it's the person you hold a door for or a person like right. that that gets on the phone with you and you're thinking you're going to talk talk about a facility and suddenly your souls are connecting and you're grieving together. However, it happens if you are committed and intentional about showing up as your best self, then mm. you will never have regrets. I love that word. That word intentional is such a great word. It's a strong word. And I, um, I really like to use that word when I'm talking to people about everything that you do, you know, what, what, you know, we always say, you know, what's your agenda? What's your, what's your motive? Well, I think, I think putting the word intentional intention is, is a better word. Cause that's kind of a positive motive and agenda. But intentional. Yeah. Intentional is the same damn thing, but it's a more positive, more uplifting word. You know, what's your, what's your intention? And, and that you know, comes that from sounds... my yogic background, which is so interesting because right. at first people were like, I don't really get you. Your yoga over here, soft and peaceful and calm. And then, and then you're your high guru. performance. You're like this, right? Like this then you're high performance over here and you're like cracking the up on people. And I'm like, yeah, right. but we need both, right? We need some tough love. We need someone to give us constructive feedback, but we also need the softness. So it is the yin and the yang energy and being intentional is something we can all do a better job at. My clients, it's, you know, they have words to describe their best selves. And it's like, wake up each and every day and meditate. Or if you don't like that word, look at your words, right? This is how you want to show up today. Start the day with intention. 
When you start the day with intention, you can reflect with gratitude at the end of the day. Now, I'm going to bring this up, uh, <laughs> but you, uh, in our pre-conversation, we were talking about one of our shows that you and I like to watch, and that's <laughs> Billions. And, yeah. and, and the character Wendy plays a high-performance coach in the in the in the investment world you know that 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 and that show is is an entertaining show obviously it's it, it's not the best for bringing out the best qualities of humans but uh it is brilliantly but, researched and quite accurate it is it is and I've, I've read a lot of the background on the producers and how they actually you know did really re and i since i'm on the Bobby Axelrod's side, because I'm in the investment business, the jargon is very accurate, very correct. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe the, the the levels of deception aren't as high as I witnessed in 32 <laughs> years. In Iowa, of all places, you know, we don't have a lot of the scandals here. But but the high performance stuff is, I guess I never really had heard that phrase until Wendy came in. And she is exactly one of the key cogs of that show because she kind of is the, she's kind of the glue to everybody's relationships. Yes. You know, it's so important and we don't realize this to stay on your best, to stay at your top right. level of performance. You need a coach. You look at Michael Jordan. When yeah. he started winning, he didn't get rid of all his coaches. He hired more coaches. He was hired right. specific coaches. Oh, I need to work on my shooting. I need to work on my conditioning. Yeah. And he started bringing in more coaches because those coaches get the best from him. It's a little bit absurd to me that people think they can just do it on their own because everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs someone to cheer them on when they're succeeding, but also call them out when they're not being their best selves. And I think that right. we are in a society that is very ego driven and it's hard to pause and say, yeah. you know, I'm not performing at my best and I need someone to come in. And so the funny thing about Billions is I don't watch TV. In fact, I didn't even have a TV for years until my kids asked me to get one. And so I begrudgingly got one. It only has Netflix on it. And so last fall, fall of, well, now it's at two falls ago, fall of 2020, three clients in a row said to me, hey, you should really watch Billions you're just like Wendy Rhodes. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. So <laughs> I actually subscribed to Showtime so I could watch the show. And I mean, obviously she has yeah. a whole nother side of her, <laughs> but the yeah. high performance side of her is very accurate because that's what I do. I come in and I examine where people are functioning at their optimal levels and where they're not. And it changes, it shifts. So some people, People hire me and they're like, hey, I want to work on my leadership. I'm like, great. And I'll work with them for a few months. Other people hire me and I'm on retainer. And it is that like, hey, you know, I just had a presentation. It didn't go well. Can we review it? Or I have an upcoming speech. Can you listen to it and give me feedback? So there are all sorts of things that I do to help people perform at their best. And so it's, it's quite fascinating because it really has, that show has opened the door to help people understand exactly what I do. Because you hear certified high performance coach, a lot of people think it has to yeah. do with athletics. Right. It's interesting because as you were saying, some, I have so many thoughts popping through my head, but 
One I think about is the quote, and I, maybe you had, I'm sure you said this in the past, it's, it's easy to get to the top. It's hard to stay there. And that's why diets don't work. That's why New Year's resolutions don't work. And um, I'm sure you consult your clients. Hey, New Year's resolution starts today. If it's May 5th, then today's the New Year's resolution. We don't wait till January 1st, you know. But I think for, for you, where I would ask this question is, okay, you can get people to the top of the mountain. I mean, you're, you're good as a high-performance coach, but how do you get people to stay there, Julie? It takes commitment and it takes um, humility because when people get to the top, there's a sense of accomplishment, which is awesome. I want everyone to like feel pride in what they do, but it becomes complacency over time. And when people become complacent, they go back to that person I was talking about. That's like a hamster on a wheel going through the motions. Okay. I'm awesome. I'm a rock star. I'm at the top of my game. I've been the top of my company for sales for the last 10 years. Woohoo! And I'm like, right. yeah, the target on your back is really now, isn't it? There's always somebody behind you. you know, There's always to take someone hungrier than yeah. you. And so yeah. my job is to keep my clients hungry. There's always a next level. And it might not be financial, right? If you're a CEO right. and you're earning you know, an amazing amount of money and you're the top of your company, your career might not have that next level as far as finance is concerned, but you can be a stronger leader. You can have a greater impact. You can leave a legacy. And so those are the type of things that I work with people on. And then I have the young guns that are the hungry ones and they're the most fun to work with because they're like, those guys between like 35 and 45 and they're gunning they are gunning for that top spot and they're fun because they're they say yes they don't push back my clients that are at the absolute top of their game they push back on me and i'm like hey you hire me you want yes people or not because that's the the other problem when you're at the top of your game you typically are surrounded by people that you hired when you've hired the people, right. you can fire them. And so they're not going to rock the boat. They're not going to call you out, out on your BS because you could fire them. So they're yes people. And every single person needs someone like me in their life that's like, hey, Jeff, that's not okay. Like, right. that sucked. Do better. <laughs> and like, that's who I get to be. I get to come in and say, you know, are you, are you ready? Sometimes my clients have to check their vulnerability and see if they can handle it that day. But it's like, are you ready? Because here are all the things that you could do better. And typically, do you think the... it's, it's like, um, it's like, I'm thinking of Mary Poppins. It's like the spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. People sometimes have this misperception that my kindness is a weakness. But... but Telling people, giving them constructive feedback isn't mean. It's helpful. It is kind. It's just a different kind of kindness. Yeah, that's so true. Do you think that the um, it's kind of the, the antiquated industry of goal setting, you know, and how we, we set these goals, you know, and, and yeah. I do it. I mean, you do it. We all do it. Um, where, I you know, sometimes I struggle with whether that's how I want to 
chase things in my life is, you know, to set, I mean, I, let me rephrase this. I kind of think of things as an evolution is like, I'm a snake shedding my skin each day and that, and really, you know, each day part of us does literally die. I mean, you know, our experiences die, our, our skin dies. I mean, our, our blood, you know, everything, everything evolves into another state. And so <clears throat> to me, it's like, <clears throat> I don't write down like 10 goals anymore. Like I want to lose weight or I want to, I want to lift weights. I want to get into yoga. I, I just kind of evolve each day and add tasks. I, I delete things that are not constructive, but I, I kind of gave up writing like a to-do list anymore. I don't, I, I don't do that. Do you see that as, um, I mean, it works for me, but do you see that as, as more people doing stuff like that? Or do you still think the, here's my five things I got to do today. Here's the five things that it seems to me that just so that's so car salesman or old you know, school. I, you know? I don't know. It's, it really depends on who you're dealing with. I'm a little old school there. I like the concept of goals, um, but I do it differently. I think you don't have an ultimate goal. You have an ultimate vision. You have a vision right. for what you want your life to be. And that vision should be yeah. at the end of this year, at the end of five years, at the end of 10 years. Reality is it changes and you have to adapt. So. I love that vision. I love that. The way you just said that, Re like replace the word goal with vision because vision is like an emotional word. You know, it's like, like a visionary of a company. <clears throat> He's not the goal setter of the company. He's the visionary. You think of somebody up there thinking, thinking of the big things, you know, that, that individual is the visionary. You know, I, I do like that perspective. And um, under the vision, of course, though, we need, the steps to get there. And so I would call those the goals, but you don't have to call those goals, right? They're steps. How are you, you have the vision here. You're here now. How are you gonna get up here? So whether it's your daily to-do list, some people need that, or whether it's like you said, you're like, you know what to do, and then you adapt as needed. What I like to do is help people see the vision, create the vision, feel the vision, because you have to feel it. If you can't right. see yourself like I do, I see myself often right. on the beach, yeah. the white beach, the turquoise yep. waters, that's my happy place. If you can't feel the sun on your skin, feel the water on your feet in your vision, then you're going to give mm -hmm. up on that vision. You have to have this vision that you're so committed to, that you are connected with emotionally. And then you're going to wake up each and every day and work on the things that get you there. And those are the needle movers. So again, whether it's goals or whether it's your activities, your to-dos, I'm, I'm not big on labels. It's really about your actions. So here's your vision. Right. What actions are you taking every day to get there? And what I do with my clients is three needle movers, three things that you're going to do to move your life forward toward your goals, your vision each and every day. And, you know, that could take eight hours. That could take an hour and then do whatever you want. With what, are your three? What, are you, what are your three? What are your three? Mine? needle movers? <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah, they shift and change. That's why I asked it. <laughs> Nobody ever asked me that. That's what I love about the two. People sometimes think that podcasts are scripted. Like, I have no idea what you're going to ask me. 
Here, this is my <laughs> script for you right here. <laughs> so, um, my three needle movers every day, um, most every day, I do business development, which I use LinkedIn for. I create content. It helps help me live my purpose of empowering and inspiring people to be the best version of themselves. And it helps people in awareness of who I am as a coach. So that's business development. Um, my other needle mover is serving my clients at the highest level. Absolutely. Every time I get on a call with my clients, my job is to make sure they are better for having that call, for having that session. If they aren't better, then I failed. And I don't fail. Mm -hmm. Like I don't fail. I don't allow it. <laughs> so failure, failure is not an option. <laughs> failure is not an option in regards to letting my clients down. If my clients right. don't feel they're achieving success and don't feel that we had a great session, which I, I haven't really had that happen for a long, long, long time, but I'm trying to think as I say that, um, then I failed and then it's my job to fix that. So my needle mover for my clients is showing up each and every day as my best self so I can empower them to be their best. And Okay, another question. Well, I have a third needle mover before oh. you go there. <laughs> deficit. If I don't ask the question, I'm going to forget. Go ahead. Do your third needle mover. I'm going to write, write down your question down. down. My third needle mover, and this is a new one for me right now for this year is self-care. I spend so much time as a single mother of three giving to my children, giving to my clients, giving to my LinkedIn community. And I do right. not take good care of myself. I will work an 18 hour day to make sure that I have given to everyone that needs me and then I get depleted and exhausted. So the new needle mover is to take care of myself and make sure that I have my downtime, that I have my digital detox time because it's really easy to spend time, you know, messaging clients, messaging on LinkedIn, moving, yeah. moving, moving in this 24 seven world. And I really need to guard my energy because when I get too depleted, I can't serve at the highest level. Well, that's probably my number one thing this year myself too, is self-preservation, I guess, and self-evolution and, and doing the things I need to do each day to, to ascend myself to a higher level of living and experiences. So here's the lead into my question. Yes. You can only pick one or the other. Okay. Do you add something of tremendous value to your life or do you subtract something that's been a negative aspect of your life you, you have to pick one or the other do you add something or do you that's subtract an something? question <laughs> i just thought of it <laughs> okay do you add or do you take away yeah addition by subtraction let's say you have which is to more important start here. you have to start by taking away that's what, that would be my to, answer too you have to look at your life and say what's working and what's yeah. not working Right. And then before you can make things work, you have to get rid of those things that don't work. If you right. have unhealthy relationships, they've got to go because they will right. drain you the most. If you have unhealthy habits, like we talked about briefly with alcohol, drug use, 
um, mm-hmm. other addictions of food. Right. You know, there's so many things that can get you off track. You have to stop that. So you have right. to stop doing the things that drain your energy, that pull your attention away from your purpose before you can add the positive, healthy habits. And that's exactly what I thought you, how you'd answer that question, because I think we are in this um, society where we want to add and add and, you know, want to add Snapchat, add Instagram, add TikTok, add this, add this, add that. And I'm like, you know, I try to look at, I've added some things like this year I got a, I got, um, I got a sauna, infrared sauna for me. It's a three person for my boys. I love it. I love it. I'm in it an hour every day. And, uh, so I work out my elliptical and I sit in my sauna. That's like my me time. Um, but yeah, they're, they're unbelievable. I I give you the name of the one. one But you gotta have like three (laughs) friends that can put it together. Cause the salesman told me 45 minutes with like one person, not, it took us eight hours. So (laughs) it's, uh, not true. But anyway, so it's like, I started thinking, you know, for me to get to, you know, I got like 30 really good years of my life that gets me to 85, you know, do I want to just keep adding things or do I want to kind of be a a minimalist and, and start reducing things? And then, uh, but if you do it simultaneously, if you cut out the bad habits, so let's say you quit drinking or quit eating fried food or cut cheese and butter out of your diet or maybe even dairy, at the same time, you know, add workout, add reading. You know, I'm a compulsive reader as well. So reading to me has been another way for me to deal with what I went through. Uh, but I thought I'd ask you as a high performance coach when you consult with a, with a type A client, you know, that person just wants to keep adding more in their life. Yes. But, you know, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, you kill one, another one pops his head up and you kill him and you're never really gaining any ground of, you know, of any any quality of life because you're just adding stuff all the time. So I, thought, I wanted to ask you that, what your thoughts were on that. And you've yeah, that. I see people doing it all the time. It's like, you know, I'll use women as an example with makeup. Oh my gosh. Like a little <laughs> right. bit's nice, but then right. you see the like people that pile it on and I hate to say it, but like, I think of Tammy Faye Baker, right? Like, Oh geez. Yeah. It's like too much. It's like too much, sweetheart. You're beautiful as you are. Pull it back. What I see with people all the time is this collection of stuff because they're trying to fill the void. Right. Going back to what we talked about with happiness versus peace. They're trying to fill the void. So it's that next card, that next house, bigger, better, more stuff. Then they get all the stuff and they're like, wait a second, something's missing. So maybe it's the next trip or the next client or the next level of income. And it's just more and more and more. And we live in a society that champions that. But when you get all of that and you're still not happy, you're still not at peace. That's what I get hired for the most is people Mm. that on paper, everything looks great looks like they have the perfect family, perfect job, perfect house, perfect cars, go on and on and on. Right. Yet something's missing. And that's when that awakening occurs of like, there's got to be something more. Let's find it. Let's figure out what it is. And is it possible to find that something more without letting anyone else know? It seems like today, whenever somebody does something heroic, they have to throw it out there and get public affirmation. Hey, I'm 57 days sober. It's like, Oh, I'm happy for you. But 
Um, I think that's really between you and you, you know, I, I again, I, well, I, I can see that maybe that maybe the sober one wasn't a good example because <laughs> I, they need community. Right, 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 right. I understand that. Really need community support. So but let's say you get your third house. It's like, why do you have to let right. me know you have your, and I think imposter syndrome is, is, is a big problem with a lot of people today. It's a double edged sword. We want to share things um, because we have a need, mm-hmm. a psychological need for connection. Right. So we want to share things, but oversharing tends to be a sign that there's something wrong. Yeah. The person that posts 20 selfies a day or yeah. a week, you know, right. the right. person that, yeah, it's like, here's my new car, here's my new house here's my new trip and it's like okay that's awesome great could you put that all in one post that'd be really cool okay let's get on now like how are you making the world a better place and so that's something that i find because i work with people that have achieved success i work with high level executives they've already tasted the goodness of material bliss and material things and that's when you get to the good stuff one of my early clients wow he had worked with a notable coach um very significant in the industry for 16 years and he came to me and i was a a very new coach and he's like i want to work with you and i was like you know my first was like all of my limiting beliefs well you've worked with this guy and he's amazing and why would you why would you move to me he's like you have something that i need he's like the way that you live life the way that you and happiness right i yeah need that and and i didn't understand it and i thought okay this is going to be a tough one because he's not coming to me trying to get to the next level of his career he's coming to me to find peace and joy and contentment And it was a challenge, but it was, it, it was very quickly evident to me that to get there, we needed to get rid of the cement block around his ankles, all of the financial things that he was doing. Yes, he had a lot of money, but he had a lot of things that required his time and attention, all his investment houses, right? Right. Each investment house needs maintenance. So who's caring for that? Like, uh, it was all the details that he just needed to shed. It's like when you talked about being simplifying, when is enough enough? Yes, you have the capacity to earn more, always. Yes, you have the capacity to buy more, always. But what do you really need? And that's where, you know, going back to that person that's oversharing, they're searching. They're searching for community. They're searching for relationship. And that's really what drives most people. Most of the time when I see people acting out like that, it's because they don't feel connected. They feel isolated. They feel alone. And we're not meant to live like that. We're not meant to be islands. And so I I always look at it as not judging them but looking at why they're doing it and what's behind it and i do think we all have that drive to be known 
for, for someone to see us and say, Hey, I feel you, Jeff, I, I get it. Right. Now I, I, um, in my previous life when I was a financial advisor, I talked a lot about wants versus needs, you know, about the difference between you wanting something versus something that you need. And so we many times would navigate with clients back and forth about why do you think you need that lake home, you know? Um, and there's nothing you know, and, wrong and, and with it, right? Pe- like if you want a lake home, right, 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 don't right, go to right, lake right. home, but fill yeah. the lake home yeah. with people that are enjoying it. Don't just sit in your lake home by yourself. Yeah. It, it, it should be at the expense of other things that could be uplifting to your, and, and again, um, so people's relationships with money, there's a huge disconnect. And, and one uh, thing I wrote in my book about financial hoarders, about people that I remember, I remember speaking with a lady one time uh, a while back and uh, she had a lot of money and we were having a first meeting and she was telling me how much money she had like over and over and over. I could tell that that was a huge deal. Little does she know I work with people that have lots of money. And so she goes, um, yeah, I mean, so like 2 million was a lot, but it, you know, it, it isn't really, but it is. But anyway, so, and so I, I directed her away from her money and I asked her how many grandkids she had. And she said she had three. And I said, well, when's the last time you've seen them? And you know what she said? First thing out of her mouth, have you seen the prices of airline tickets? You know, the first thing I said, I thought you had a lot of money. <laughs> I see that. All that's all I had to say. I thought you had a lot of money. No, she, I never hired her. I didn't want to work with her. That's one thing great about my business. I turned away a lot of people. Me that too. Were schizo- well, Me I too. I have learned now, that it does not but work my um, energy to take on people like that. No, it wasn't. It was, they, were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were just, they were going to be headaches for me. So I just, I screened them up front and fired them. And, uh, but I did it professionally. But, but the reality is that there's so many people have this disconnected relationship with, with their money. And I always found that the most successful clients for our firm were the ones that had mastered the financial and the emotional part of retirement. So that's kind of what you're talking about. You meet a lot of clients. And I think the last like 15 minutes or so, I'd really like to talk about what you do, how people can use what you do to get to a, to a uh, better is a subjective word, let's say another level uh, of their life. Um, increase their well-being. What's the expectations of a high-performance coach? Um, you know, if you want to cover some of the financial aspects of it, I mean, is it is it a one-time deal monthly? Is it a, you know, I, I, I have I have my ideas because I think I know how that model works. But for the average follower of mine that has no idea what a high-performance coach is, why don't you um, kind of uh, step us through what it would work? or how it works to hire someone like you. But I think one thing I always ask clients when they came in our office, Julie, is first of all, what do you think I do yeah. and why are you here? So let's say I'm going to interview you and I'm, I'm on the phone with you. What, what are some of the things you ask someone right up front to see if they even, even need a high-performance coach? Really good question. I want to go back before we go there to what you were saying about money. Yeah. I used to yeah. have some weird, you know, over time we, we get, these weird ideas in our head. I used to have a weird disconnect with money until I was actually working with a client and he had a lot of money and we were talking about what money can do. And really what money can do is give you more freedom, freedom to live the life you want. Absolutely. And when you look at it that way, then setting financial goals aren't a problem. Because some people are like, ooh, I don't want to set a financial goal. That's icky. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to focus on money. 
It's like, yeah, but how are you going to live your purpose? How are you going to take your family on vacation? How are you going to fund college if you don't see money in a healthy way? So people's relationship with money is so important. And um, with that, when I said I, I help people with career relationships, health and finance, I'm not a financial advisor. I refer out for that but I do have the discussion with them about what they, you know, how are their finances and what are their goals for that? So with um, what I ask people (laughs) when they come to me, I now have an application to screen people because I used to get on the phone with all the wrong people because everyone, I went through a phase, especially during the pandemic, everyone wanted to get on a call with me. And I went through May of 2020, I will never forget, I did 50, 50 inquiry calls. And they were all people that just wanted to talk because they were lonely. They just wanted to share with me. They just wanted to, yeah. In in one month? month. Yeah, because we were home for COVID and I had a a smaller clientele back then. I had time. So I was just stacking my days with like back-to-back calls. And none of zero, zero out of 50 were serious about hiring me. They wanted to get to know me. They wanted to talk to me. Yeah. Too bad they didn't all record it. I would have had 50 great podcasts. (laughs) They needed a friend. They needed needed a friend. friend. And I realized as great as my heart is and as big as my heart is, I I'm not right. a charity. I, I can't just give my right. time for free. I'm a single mom of three. Mm-hmm. I have to earn money. Mm-hmm. So I have an application now and it runs through all the areas of life. And it asks those questions. Um, and at the end, it asks why they would be a good client for me. Because mm-hmm. it is important that I protect my energy so I can serve at the highest levels. And there are some people who really need help with their mindset and their energy, but they're not quite to the level that I'm at. So you asked two questions, um, one about becoming your best self and then one about how to work with me. So let's talk about how to become your best self first. It all starts with clarity. Okay. You have to have a foundation of clarity, that self-awareness of here I am, who here's who I am. Here's how I'm showing up in the world right now. Here's who I want to be. This is the vision I have for my life. This is the vision I have for the best version of myself. So clarity is what we always start with. Mm -hmm. I need to understand why people are the way they are, where they envision themselves going. And then I have to make an educated determination of if that is something I can actually do. Because I like my 100% satisfaction rate. And I'm not going to take a client that's not going to keep you there. Right? <laughs> right? So right. Yeah. it's really important it. to me it. that we have an initial strategy session and we get to that clarity. Here's where you are. Here's where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Once my clients have that clarity, it's about courage. It's about looking at yourself in a raw way, stripping back the layers looking deep into your soul and examining your limiting beliefs, examining all the things that hold you back. Limiting beliefs are so significant. 
I didn't realize when I went through all of my trainings in all of the different areas I've had training in that that was probably the most significant issue. When you can help people excavate those limiting beliefs, face them and annihilate them and adopt more affirming beliefs, like, wow, they're on fire. They're unstoppable because those limiting beliefs that say I'm not enough, I'm not capable, those things, they show up in everything we do. They show up in our career. They show up in our relationships. They show up in our health. Do you think, I want to piggyback on this because I know what limiting beliefs are, but do you think unshakable convictions can be a barrier as well? So if someone is just, <laughs> I am, I'm this way, I'll pick on politically, maybe there's something, I don't know, uh, pro-choice, let's say. Someone says, I'm pro-choice, I'll never budge. You know, I think, I think I challenge people to take your number one unshakable conviction and go read a book opposite of what you believe or go talk to somebody that, that, that doesn't believe what you believe. I don't care if it's God, go talk to an atheist. If you're an atheist, go talk to a Catholic. And I think, I think that's not the same thing you're talking about, but I think those two things together can help you grow as a human instead of just always thinking you're right. And you have these, I love people that are confident and they're, my convictions are strong, but don't be so naive to think that you may be wrong. (laughs) You know, my number one job is to challenge people and it was fascinating to coach people through 2020 with black lives matters all lives matters choice pro-life pro-trump pro-biden you know it was anti-mask pro-mask anti-vax right (laughs) it was like are you kidding me and i watched the two dreams and the polarization of our country and my job besides staying neutral and not sharing my opinion on those things because my job is not to judge people it's to help them is to challenge their thinking when it holds them back if you're telling me that you can't work with someone because you don't agree with them politically then i challenge you to see like is that really the best version of you? And are you really being respectful? The most amazing leaders are people who can pull back how they, they feel in order to get the job done. And that's what's missing in our society is the people that come in the middle and they say, Hey, you, and Hey, you, you don't have to like each other, but you have to respect one another. And we're not here to talk about all of these BS issues. We're here to get this job done. These are our objectives. I don't care about your beliefs. Leave those at home. Yeah, I I care about your behaviors. I write about that a lot. Um, There's this echo chamber out there, especially with social media, where you just get into these communities where there's nothing challenged and you're untested. You know, living undeterred is not the same thing as being untested. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm tested daily as you are, as you are, you know, a single mom of three CEO of your own business, you know, clients and managing all these things. You know, I'm, I respect that immensely because I've been in a marriage for my last 21 years of my life. And now I'm a widower and, um, it's difficult. You know, I have two older, you know, you have what 14 and 19 and 20, I have 20 and 18, 
Uh, but it's difficult to come home, you know, being in a marriage for 20 years. I did certain things. She did certain things. Yeah. Uh, things got done. Now I'm laying around here. And if that cluttered corner doesn't get yeah. moved by, you know, who, yeah. who's going to move it? <laughs> you know, no. it's going to be me and that load of laundry and having to go to target and having yeah. to take the cars, getting service. I, I, I get that. I fully respect what you're going through, but there's a lot of people like you and me out there. Um, then you throw in COVID, you throw in financial woes and, it's a tough time to be a positive person today. And that's why you're, what you do is so needed. Um, and that's my segue as we wrap up the last few minutes here. How does somebody work with you and how do they contact you? And I guess I'll, I'll let you kind of wrap it up from there. Thank you. Um, so I do two things. I am, my company is Powerful Leaders, which is interesting. We talk about ourselves and how people show up in the world. I never wanted to be my own brand. I really um, want my company to be about service and my clients. So I call it powerful leaders because when you work with me, you become a powerful leader in your industry, whether you are in finance, in real estate, in um, trying to think of my clients in athletics, in the fashion yeah. industry, I'm just naming some of the industries I work in right now. Um, you are working to become your best and have a greater impact and influence over other people. And so people come to me for that. I work one-on-one -on -one with them and we take them like higher than they possibly imagine. I hear it all the time. It's like, I had no idea I was capable of this. I'm like, yes, that's my job. My job <laughs> is to find you, to see right. you in your current raw form and to see you better than you even see yourself. It's called positive projection to look at someone and right. say, I see the absolute best in you, Jeff, and I'm going to help you become that. So I have that. And then I also have what I do with professional development and working with executive teams to engage people and energize organizations. And that brings high performance to companies, whether they're small or large, because what we see right now, it's amazing to help empower one person. But if they're a part of an executive team or a larger company, and they're like trying to pull everyone up with them, you can move so much faster and, and create a much greater impact as a team. And so with that, it really is taking the principles of high performance and infusing the entire executive team and then it trickles down to the entire company. So I do two different things um, with that, one-on-one hmm. -on -one coaching and executive team coaching. And the way to work with me is um, on my website, powerfulleaders.com. There's a start today. So that's an application okay. for my one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, to okay. work with me in a corporate sense, I do a presentation that way. That would be emailing me, julie at powerfulleaders.com. And so both of those things are ways to access me. I encourage people before they do that to follow me on LinkedIn and to see yeah. some of my posts and, and to see if they vibe with me, if I'm their person, right? Because I'm not for everyone as much as I would like to think I am, right? And I know as a coach, I can 
help people access the best version of themselves and unlock that in absolutely any client I take on. I do know that. But I think it's really important to kind of get to know someone in that way. So I'm on LinkedIn and I invite people to connect with me there. And then if they seriously want to commit, because I only want people that are seriously committed three months or more, the the smallest amount of time I'll work with someone is three to four months because it really does take time to develop that relationship, to gain the clarity, to create the path, and then to execute on that, right? And apply it. So that's, that's me. It's all about clarity, courage, and commitment. You have to have clarity about who you are and the vision for where you want to go. Then you have to have the courage to say, I have a better life. I'm capable of living bigger and bolder and creating that life undeterred. And then from there, it's being committed to it. It's a commitment that you make each and every day to wake up and say, I am going to be intentional about who I am and how I'm showing up in the world today. Well, I'm happy I got you on the show and I'm not surprised that it was this uplifting because like I said, watching you on LinkedIn, um, you're probably one of the top posts that I see that are inspirational. And you're, you have this infectious, uh, positive attitude that I think um, that's what attracts people to come work with you. And obviously your following is, you know, your worst day would be my best day in regard in regards to followers but it's not a comparison <laughs> no and i you know i I, you know, I, I, I often think to myself you know i've got some 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 morality in regards to how i post and it's like if i i can't post something that i wouldn't share to say my 89 year old dad then i'm not going to post it you know and yeah. so I, i'm pretty intentional I, my posting have dropped a little bit because Obviously, there's been a lot going on and stuff, and we all got that excuse. But I, I just felt, and this is why I think in about five minutes, if you're okay, we can wrap this up. But, um, but the Living Undeterred tour next summer, or this summer, uh, May 9th is when I start. And for 95 days, I'm going around the United States in an RV, and I'm raising a million dollars for mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. And I am finding that as I, each day as this thing grows and gains momentum, that I went into this very naive. I went into this very um, thinking it was going to be an opioid awareness tour. That was originally what I was going to do. But as I started talking to people, it became a mental health initiative. And it became a 911 call to the country to figure out, you know, meet people like you and my next guest and my next guest and add these arrows to the quiver. How can each person better their life? And, And somebody may look at what you're doing and say, well, I don't need a high performance coach and that's fine. But they may know somebody that does. And then they could say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta hook up with her on LinkedIn or reach out to her. So I think the fact that, um, as much as I detest a lot about social media, I can certainly, (laughs) I can certainly see it being an important part of my life going forward. And I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish. took me 30 years to build my investment company up. I I can do that today in 30 months on social media. Yeah, you know, with social media, and you were talking before about like people that are like, oh, there's TikTok, there's Snapchat. I, there's a mindset out there that you need to be everywhere. I disagree. You need to be where your audience is. My audience is on LinkedIn. The average earner, um, as far as they, 
on Instagram, they have all these statistics, oh, like the demographics, they can't afford me. Right. Right. The, the average Instagram user makes under 40,000 a year because most of them are younger. Yeah. Right. Right. right and right. so when you look at that, it's like, do you need to be there? Is, do you really need a presence there? Facebook, don't even get me started. I mean, I've never seen so much inappropriate stuff mm. when I tried to do coaching things on there. LinkedIn to me is where my audience is. So it's where I am. And as far as posting goes, it's quality over quantity. Yeah. Like it always, if there's something that I look at the morning I'm going to post and I'm like, yeah, I'm not feeling that this is up to, you know, what my audience deserves, right. then I just won't post that day because I'm not going to put out crap. I'm against it. <laughs> well, one, it's not, if it's not benefiting people, don't do it. <clears throat> and as far as your tour goes, I mean, absolutely. The world's mental health, especially during the last two years mm -hmm. has declined rapidly and mental health issues lead to you know, the opioid. Oh yeah, issues, absolutely. The alcohol issues, yep. the overeating issues, all of the problems that we see, they stem from your mental health. I, and I, so I, I applaud you for it. I'm excited. We'll have to talk another time yeah, about yeah. what I can do to be a part right. of it because I, I living undeterred to me is exactly what I coach on. Right. I don't call it that because that's right. yours. <laughs> well, I know exactly how you can help because you can certainly help uh, when we're on that part of the country in South Carolina, North Carolina, those areas, uh, introducing me to anybody you feel is in the mental health, um, you know, alcohol abuse. Uh, I've got, I've already had three guests on my show in the first year that were sexually abused, one man and two women that have been guests on my show. So we have two stops already on the tour that are geared towards sex abuse. And I got advocates right. coming to the podium. They're going to talk. So I, I'm not limiting myself to opioids or alcohol or suicide. Right. It's mental health. It's this big wheel, and each spoke is yeah. each spoke is one of those issues. So that, yeah, that's how that's how certainly I'll, I'll be talking to you in the future about you know seeing yeah. if you can be a part of that as well. Yeah, and going there, and I know we're about out of time. We're going to yeah. have to have a second podcast. Absolutely, it's the untapped. Going back to like limiting beliefs what I didn't mention there is trauma, right? Yeah, when yeah. we don't learn to deal with trauma in healthy ways, we process them and we deal with them in unhealthy ways. And that leads to so many of these crises. We have to learn to protect people's mental health. We have to learn to protect our own mental health. And that's why when I was talking about, you know, my needle movers to put that out there, that's the first time I've shared that with anyone it's so important because I will give because of my heart. I'll give until I have nothing left to give, yeah. but that's not best for anyone. Trauma is so key. Um, obviously we, you know, we'll certainly have to have another conversation about this. Because <laughs> we'll I know, have to make it a regular thing. People are going to be sitting there going, well, why do these guys stop talking? Um, the Jeff but, and Julie show. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. That's awesome. I think we have a lot of ground to cover, but, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me how everybody deals with grief so differently, you know, my, and again, I'm not, I'm not by any means trying to be disparaging to, to, um, anybody that's dealt with it in a negative way, because we all deal with things separately and differently and we compartmentalize and we, we, um, 
we find ways to fight through. We, we bury things. Yeah. We don't want to talk we about things. We do the best right. we know how to do right. until we know better. And when you know better, you do better. And that's why it's so important to get, you know, this out there, right. the, the awareness of here are the resources. Here's how you can do better. Because if you don't know, then you cope. And we all do it. We cope because we don't know better. Yeah, and if you found coping mechanisms that were constructive, then then yeah. that's that's fine. But when you find coping mechanisms that are destructive, you know, and you're drinking yourself to death, or you're shooting yourself with heroin, or you're stealing, or you're lying, you know, those are bad habits that can be, um, you know, life ending. Whereas I think bad bad or poor emotions are fine. You know, imposter syndrome. I always talk about. I wrote a blog on. I love imposter syndrome. It makes me better. I started my investment company because I was irritated that somebody in Iowa City was doing better than me at 23. So I said, he's yeah. going to work 80 hours a week. I'm going to work 100, you know. And so mm -hmm. imposter syndrome can be an imp impetus to really good things if you nurture it correctly, you know. Yeah. It's, it can also be destructive. If you sit around feeling jealous about everyone right. doing better than you, then, yeah. you know, that, that can be a bad thing too. But, hey, listen, I it's been great talking with you. I really enjoyed this. I think the people that – um uh, are going to catch this on season two of the Living Undeterred podcast. They're going to be in for a treat. Um, but any last things you want to throw out there to inspire people and keep people uh, focused and um, you know give them uh, give them hope and inspiration? I guess. I really believe that anything is possible if you're willing to do the work. So when you are there and you're feeling like you can't do it you're feeling like a failure, you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling like the walls are closing in on you, you have to just reach out. Somebody will be there to lift you, to love you, to encourage you, to inspire you, to show you the way. Right. And so do that. Reach out. Reach out. Seek help. We all need it. As, and, and this is really hard, especially for the alphas in the world who I work with. I work with all alphas. Yeah. Love my alphas. <laughs> but like, if you want to be the best, if you want to reach that next level, you need help getting there. Yeah. So that would be, you know, my encouragement to people. Anything is possible if you're willing to do the work, but seek help to know the plan, to create the plan, to create the vision, to dig deep, and to create a life that you truly love. Surround yourself around people that are doing better than you, and you will ascend to their level. If you surround yourself around people doing worse than you, you will descend to their level, you know? Right. You can spiral up just as easily yeah. as you can spiral down, so make good choices. Well... I made a good choice having you on the show. So <laughs> um, thank you very much. Appreciate it very much. And um, we'll circle back. But uh, thank you. And uh, I don't have to tell you this, but keep living undeterred, okay? Thank you. It was an honor and a privilege and so much fun to be here. Thank you. We'll have to do uh, round two. <laughs>